Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport. With in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Are we ready to start this thing? Thank you to the lovely Mac for helping me with those recordings. This is the Inside Try Show. I am indeed Helen Murray. Welcome along to episode three, powered by 33 Fuel, which is powerful, tasty and natural sports nutrition. It's great to have you along. And again, thank you so much for getting in touch, saying how much you have enjoyed the first two episodes, sharing them on social media and everything else that you have done so far to support the show. I am truly grateful. This week, I reckon it's a real cracker, something completely different for you. You're going to get an exclusive look behind the scenes with British Triathlon and keep listening because later on in the show I'm going to be revealing the winners of the Christian Blumenfeld signed Super League Triathlon trophy. After last week I am now back in the UK. My body clock is completely messed up It's quarter past six in the morning when I'm recording this. The other day I was in Doha airport on the way home eating M&M's. It was like an emergency packet of M&M's and it would have been 2.45am in the UK. It was 5.45am in Doha when I was there and I think sometime in the middle of the afternoon in Sydney, which I had left behind. So you can tell from eating M&M's at silly o'clock. I don't know. I don't even know what time it was. But um, I am here. And I guess there are some benefits sometimes to jet lag in that, yep, I'm recording this now. Uh, What else did I do? So yesterday I I was back. It was like the first morning. And I think I'd woken up at, I don't know, half three, four. And I was renewing my driving license before 6am. Yeah, I I probably shouldn't mention, um, I forgot. Oh, I didn't really forget. I just thought I'd be fine. I had. I usually take spin class at my tri club on a Wednesday night, and um, yeah, I'd put in for an FTP test for them all, 
And um, yeah, that was, that just didn't happen. I mean, I just pedaled very, very lightly. Um, So yeah, don't make that error. If you are coming back from a long haul flight, actually it does take a little bit of time for your body to adapt. So before I take you over to Loughborough and the behind the scenes with the British Triathlon and the British Parrot Triathlon set up there, a word about 33 Fuel. So they make everything from unique energy gels to awesome protein, mighty greens, all natural carb blends, but basically all of their ingredients are really, really natural. So it's a completely different take on sports nutrition. I used some of their Chia energy gels when I did an ultramarathon recently, or half of an ultramarathon. Um, but yeah, Chia Seed Energy Gels, they were delicious. So like the ingredients for them, organic chia seeds, coconut palm sugar, organic vanilla, and then Himalayan pink salt. So all of their products are like that. It's natural food. So it's not sort of goo. So if you have struggled with tummy problems in the past, then give it a go. I've got a discount code especially for you, Inside Try 33 And at the moment, they're doing things like winter survival bundles. So you'd get like a premium protein, ultimate daily greens, and then six of their Eroica protein bars. And I can tell you, their protein bars, I have one after the run I did, and it basically tasted like Christmas cake. It was amazing. It's completely different to anything I had had before in terms of sports nutrition. So go and check it out at 33fuel.com and use the code InsideTry33 for a discount. Time for this week's interview. It's not exactly an interview. It's a whole bunch of interviews. And I think you're going to get a really good insight into the elite level of sport and parasport as well. It was back at the end of October that I went to Loughborough, which is where British Triathlon is based. And I spent a whole morning shadowing George Peasgood, who competed at the Rio Paralympics. And he's also an absolutely uber biker. And he does a lot of cycling as well. And Hoob sponsor him. So you're going to hear all about that. You're going to hear about his sort of day-to-day routine. He actually does quite a lot of training with the able-bodied athletes, as you'll hear um, throughout the interview. And I was so impressed with everything at Loughborough. We even went into the Athlete Hotel, which is sort of totally unique. And we had breakfast there, but we also had a look around the rooms and you can set the altitude to whatever you want to do. So if you want to go and have the effects of sleeping at altitude, but training sort of low, then you could go there, you could set the room to Everest Base Camp, for example, and then do your normal training. Um, And they've got just such incredible facilities. So George, I managed to shadow for a lot of the morning. Thank you very much, George. And then I also grabbed interviews with a couple of different coaches and then a number of other athletes who are involved in the paratriathlon setup in Loughborough. So uh, yeah, enjoy. It should get you through quite a bit of uh, your training. 
It's just before seven o'clock in the morning. It's a bright early start. I'm yet to have a coffee, so again, sounding a little bit asleep. And uh, I am at Loughborough University and I've come up to the campus and I'm outside the swimming pool and I'm about to meet a whole host of triathletes and spend the day with them and get to know them a little bit. So let's go in and find out a little bit more. I'd come to meet George Peasgood, who I was actually shadowing for the morning. Hello, this is Helen. Hi George, Hi, how nice are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm are good. You right? um, so you've got your swim first thing this morning? Yeah, it's a normal kind of Thursday, yeah, half seven, early. Earlier start, not as early as a Wednesday, but um, yeah, it's a good one. What time does a Wednesday start? Six. Oh yeah, okay, that is quite early. And then how long are you swimming for? Uh, it'll be about hour and 15, hour and 20 session. Obviously, being a bit winter, winter time now, it's kind of building back up in volume, so it's not really a, a super hard set, whereas in, into the season, it'll be a, a smash fest, basically, for that hour and 15. <laughs> and are you feeling, at this time of year, are you feeling fish-like yet, or are you feeling more like you're just, it's hard work in the water? Well, I've been back swimming now for two or three weeks, so it's feeling better, finally. It's uh, the first couple of swims... Definitely took a bit out of my shoulders, but um, yeah, starting to get back to normal. Times are still pretty hard to hit, but um, yeah, getting there and just building up. What does the rest of your day look like today? So you're going to start with the swim, and then what else happens on a on a typical Thursday? On a on a typical Thursday, we'll go typical. Yeah, we'll go typical. <laughs> uh, so on a typical Thursday, it would be yeah the swim. Then I head over to uh, breakfast club with the, with the uh, paratriathletes, and then have a a bit of a run. Uh, kind of after lunch and then have an evening bike session being building back into winter and kind of protecting myself a bit I'm not quite doing all of that yet but um, yeah that's what a typical Thursday especially in season would look like yeah and then what about your your typical week what does that look like we can chat more over breakfast later but your typical week what would that look like Uh, so what one key characteristic is I never have a day off Um, a lot of people do I don't particularly like them I prefer to do something each day if it's just something aerobic or making sure I get a good 24 hour worth of rest um, but it'll be anywhere depending on yeah the season the, if I'm going to a race the, the block of training that I'm in anywhere between kind of 18 and high 20s hours of training so it, it can really vary and especially the intensities within the week uh, you can have a swim bike or run focus week or it can be a combination of three or it can be a, a brick focus week or taper week there's so many different variants which is one of the reasons I really love try so it's yeah there's no such thing really as a typical week but there's a there's building blocks to each week yeah and which out of the disciplines obviously you've done a lot more cycling over the past few years as well is is cycling your sort of favorite of the three disciplines uh yeah it's it's something I, I started cycling kind of at with try um so I was kind of I was doing that more compared to the swimming and running side of things um yeah I would say running's definitely improving as one of my favorites but cycling yeah is probably one of one of the best and then the swim is a swim <laughs> yeah the swim's a swim it's, it's one that I'm stronger compared to my competitors um I enjoy it but sometimes the training can be a bit arduous staring at the bottom of the pool for longer periods of time but uh it's definitely somewhere you, you reap the rewards if you put the time in. So I'm in the swimming pool now and there are eight lanes. It's split up down the middle and there are swimmers in each lane absolutely smashing it up and down. 
it's pretty impressive to see actually it's a bit different to your typical uh, leisure center <laughs> where you're battling against the breaststrokers and people just doing backstroke down the middle of the lane everyone looks super smooth it's quite inspiring while george was training i grabbed the word with coach adam elliott i think i've been doing what i'm doing now for four and a half years but i've been here in a coaching capacity for seven because i was assistant coach in the squad before i was lead coach so do they swim every single day most of them will swim five times a week some of them will add a six swim in um, some of them in like a if they were really in a big swim block or if they were injured let's say they might add maybe a seventh or eighth swim in and put a couple of double swims in uh, but generally speaking we swim five swims a week which is around about 25k a week and you had then we were just talking about it you had sort of 14 15 athletes in there what's like how do you decide what what they're all doing and how do you manage that well at, at top down level the the program we run here is built around the demands of the sport so there's essentially a session in every week which ticks one of the the physiological or the mechanical or the mental demands of what they've got to deliver on race day so that's where this general set design comes from then uh, we would either split lanes on ability or we would split lanes on uh, necessity of what someone's working on so maybe we might have more of a strength orientated set or a speed orientated set but within the same set so they might do the same I don't know, let's say they might do the same 20 100s but some do it off a shorter recovery to restrict recovery for more of a, a strength or aerobic emphasis and some would have a longer recovery maybe even if they were a faster swimmer just to work on more of a vo2 or first 300 of a race and i guess that is part of being a good coach that you can manage all of that different stuff together um <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think sometimes it's it's nice to have a bit of space so you can look at what each individual's doing um, uh, but that depends on how many of us are in generally um, but I think the, the, the management of that sort of stuff comes a lot of it comes into setting it up beforehand um, so the way we like to work is so that when each athlete gets into the pool they've got a good idea of what what their individual focus or work ons are for the session so they know before they hit the water what they're doing, which makes our lives a lot easier in terms of management when a set's running. What does a typical day look like for you? I mean, a typical week as well. For me yeah, or for them? no, for you. Um, so there's, there's probably the obvious bits, which is standing on poolside or the side yeah. of a track or sometimes driving along in a car behind a bike session. Um, there's probably some meetings with athletes in there. There's some planning time. There's also, you know, learning for myself. So like this morning, we've got one of the swim coaches in who's just looking at some stuff with me or just around one of the athletes swim stroke. Um, so there might be a bit of that, I suppose CPD as you'd call it. Um, fair bit of coffee and coffee meetings, <laughs> which might range anything from, as I said, a meeting with an athlete or us coaches meeting together or just sitting down and looking at planning. Now, whether that's individual planning for an athlete or whether that's planning for like you saw this morning we've got 15 16 people in how do we make sure that everybody's in a lane that works for them and that the set works for everybody but has enough scope within it to be tweaked by each person yeah because in there you've got you know you've got the likes of jody stimpson's in there so then you've got some of the para triathletes as well it's a complete mix isn't it 
It is, yes, and I think that's one of the beauties of, of, of the squad we have here is that there is a whole range. Uh, there's there's generally somebody to swim with at the speed you want to swim on any given day, but also that the, the aims and focuses of people aren't all just the same, so you get a good competitive element without it being too focused down on one very specific thing. Yeah, yeah. And just next to the pool here, there is the, uh, the, the land conditioning room, do they all go in there before and after, or do you encourage them? What, are, what sort of stuff are they doing in there? <laughs> Any of them listening to this might think encouraging is an interesting word. Um, we, we, we generally have it for 15 minutes before a session, and we would suggest or strongly suggest that it's beneficial to do some mobility or pre-activation before people swim. So most people would generally get here 10, 15 minutes before a session and go in and do anything from whether it's just basic stretching and mobility, whether it's just going in there and moving around and chatting just to wake up if it's an early morning, um, or some resistance band work just to get themselves activated. That We have a, a sort of an outline plan that people can follow if they want just some, some basic information, but then we or with our physios would work with each athlete on maybe, you know, if they're restricted in a particular area, what they might want to do for best preparation for a session. Poolside, it's, it's suddenly a lot quieter now. Um, George, you're out of the pool. <laughs> Did you have a good swim? Yeah, it wasn't bad. It's, it's just one of them ones that kind of build back into it. So, yeah, it was um, quite nice, but it gets a little bit spicy as well in there. There was a bit of spice. You were, you were doing some sprints at the beginning and then a nice bit of relaxing. Um, I mean, like recovery, recovery. <laughs> yeah, you'd, do like, you'd be diving and you'd be doing your sprint starts. Uh, yeah, so at the start, obviously, we do a bit of a prep set, uh, just no matter what, because it just kind of gets some muscles used to it. And then, yeah, the main set had a bit of VO2 plus stuff at the end. Um, and, yeah, just roll through it. And it's, it's a Thursday's a range of pace swim, so it's just getting the body used to the changing of pacing and swimming easier when you need to as well. And when you get out of the uh, pool, like, did you, did you have anything nutrition-wise beforehand? Did you eat anything before you get in for a Thursday morning swim? Uh, yeah, so usually I'll just have uh, just a normal bowl of cereal, just either some like granola or cornflakes on a Tuesday and Thursday, yeah. which swim at the same time. Um, and then afterwards, yeah, I'll be quite protein based. And so now we'll head over to um, Breakfast Club, but at home I'll just have like yeah, yogurt and granola, yogurt and oats, or like some eggs or something like that as well. I'm excited by this Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. It's, it means everyone just kind of gets again get together as well. Because um, I train with the AB lot as well, it means I don't get to see the para guys as much. Um, but it just get, brings everyone together and plus it's food and triathletes love food. Come away from the pool now and uh, into, we're looking over the, Johnny what, what pitches are they? Uh, so this is the university <laughs> rugby pitch, uh, AstroTurf pitch I believe. Um, <laughs> That'll do. Yeah we run around it yeah. most of the time. And this is, so this is Breakfast Club and just introduce yourself. Uh, yes, I'm Jonathan Ryle, I'm the head coach of the Paratriathlon programme and yeah, indeed, we're at um, Breakfast Club, something we've done every Thursday now since 2014, I think, it's a pretty staple in our in our week. I love it, so over here you've got like your cereal and your, your milk and... Yeah, well, at different times of the year it can be a bit more extravagant <laughs> than cereal and milk, but as a minimum we have that. Um, and what we basically do each week, um, we have a, an athlete and a staff member who come together and make breakfast. <laughs> Sometimes we have pancakes, bits and pieces, but to be honest, it's uh, we just fit it in straight after training. A bit more basic today. Yeah, a little bit more basic. <laughs> so where, where did the idea come from for that? Um, I think for me, triathlon is such an individual sport and you can find you kind of go through a, you go through a whole week um, and sometimes don't see 
the people on your team or you don't see all of your team members, athletes or staff. Um, and when we first set the centre up in 2014, um, I mean, I love food, so it was an easy one for me. Just, um, yeah, let's just get together and just put an hour aside. It's, it's one hour where uh, we try not to work. Um, we try not to kind of have meetings. We just sit up breakfast and chat, really. So a social period of, of the week. What difference has it made? Um, but it's, it's taken a life of its own, really, and it's, it's nice to see because we get um, a similar initiative up in Leeds now. The guys kind of have breakfast once a week. Um, and when it doesn't happen, you know that people enjoy it because people kind of start to ask, especially over this last few weeks, kind of off-season, coming back. It's been the main question is sort of when breakfast clubs start again. I think it integrates a lot of our younger athletes to some of the senior athletes. So we've got athletes who've just come to uni, uh, sort of young athletes on a talent programme, all the way through to, I mean, Claire's been to the Parliament Games five times, and it just neutralises everybody. It kind of neutralises if you're a coach or a practitioner. You're not, you're just someone having breakfast as a, as a member of the team. So um, builds good relationships, and I think it just sets us up really well for when we go away for so much of the summer. Um, to have good relationships to, to work as best as we can really and so who is here this morning in front of us we've got a wide range I mean there's probably a few missing because we've had a few people race quite late into the season um, but we've got Becky Hewitt who is our head talent coach um, she does a lot of her coaching from um, from the uni um, next is Oscar who is one of our young visually impaired athletes on our talent program uh, Claire, Claire Cashmore uh, moved across to triathlon after Rio, uh, having been a swimmer for four games. We've got Nikki Bartlett uh, in a run right pro athlete just back from Kona um, and guides for Allison. Uh, George, he's good, so one of our fairly stable performance uh, program athletes. And then we've got Ben Stevenson, Alistair Donaldson, so Ben's our uh, physiologist. Um, pretty, pretty key role into Tokyo Games with the heat and humidity. Alistair heads up our performance pathway so uh, manages Becky but heads up all of our kind of talent initiatives um, yeah and that's about um, it yeah, that's, that's about it, it. We, we haven't mentioned the press officer but uh. <laughs> yeah she's there as well Gemma's there and I, and I just spotted Ben Dykstra walk past as well I think it's his birthday today so we a lot of these guys because of training in Loughborough are pretty good friends with a lot of the Olympic program guys so George trains with the Olympic program a lot of the time so pretty much anyone's welcome on a, on a morning like this so and why, why does George in particular do a lot of training with with the um, able-bodied athletes? Yeah, yeah. Um, to be honest, what we try and do is just make sure that the environment is sort of suitable for the standard that you're at. And with paratriathlon, you've got a wide range of standards. So if you take somebody like um, like a Fran Brown, she's in our most impaired category, um, world champion, incredible athlete, all the way through to probably George and the visually impaired athletes are at the top end in terms of just raw speed. Um, so what we try and do here is just make sure people are training in the appropriate environments. We set up a paratriathlon squad specifically because the Olympic programme wouldn't have offered everything that some of our athletes need. Um, but with George, for his, uh, his swim and his bike and his gym, he trains pretty much as standard with the Olympic programme. Um, and, and he does probably 80% <coughs> of his running with the Olympic girls, so Sophie Caldwell, Jodie Stimson. Um, it's just to make sure the standards that he needs to race at are met within his training environment. But similarly, we have had quite a few um, university athletes um, and, and some of the able-bodied athletes, if they have a bit of a weakness, let's say in the swim, they've quite often dropped down um, and then done some stuff in with people like Claire. I mean, Nikki's a great example. She wouldn't be able to swim with the Olympic girls, but her and Claire pretty much side by side every session. So it's just finding the right place for the right person, really. And that is pretty, I mean, that, that is quite unique, isn't it? And I guess that just shows the, how much parasport itself has developed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, 
I think Nikki's a great example of this, as somebody where on the outside looking in you might perceive that a power programme kind of its standards are a little bit lower um, and, and whatever else you might perceive for that but I think we've brought athletes in and especially in the guide and role it's quite a unique role where you bring a, an, an able-bodied athlete into your team um, and Luke Pollard is another example on the male side who have then benefited so much from being in and around um, a motivated group but a diverse group um, you know I think it kind of takes back to probably like a club environment it's you've got people in around you regardless of where your standards are um, and I think what I've seen is it just it just helps everyone kind of raise the game. And, and of course, George is an example. If you need something different, that's kind of why we set up at Loughborough really is is to make sure people had that uh, on their doorstep. So. Do you think there has been a, a massive change in para sport since London 2012, would you say? I think um, from a perceptions point of view, yes. absolutely. Um, I think. And what about funding as well? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we were we were a new sport into the program for Rio, so we weren't funded formally until 2014, um, and obviously that made a, a significant difference to our team, and it's an absolute privilege to be able to have that through through lottery funding through government. Um, but I think the perception is probably the biggest thing, just in terms of you know you speak to, it can be anyone in the shop, your hairdresser, or whatever, and they they know what you do, um, and I think in the past the I speak to a lot of coaches in other, in other para sports the comment you would tend to get is oh that's really good you must do a wonderful thing and it's almost treating them like you know like a charity case um, where actually now people understand that it's it's performance um, I think what that still does it, it still brings a challenge in terms of um, general disability within population not everyone can be an elite athlete and I think sometimes the perception is now if you have a disability you can be a Paralympian and I think people will quickly realise it's as hard as becoming an Olympian so um, but yeah more people uh, more acceptance, more willingness to, to try and, and do sport. I think it's fantastic, yeah. Rio, for the British team, I mean, mm. they had a, a great debut games, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, and it was, on one hand, it was, it was great. On one hand, I think we always could see that we wanted to strive for better. So I think, personally, my objective for that games was to make sure that we, we represented as a team as, as well, as large and as strong as we could. So uh, we'd done so much work in terms of the inclusion for the, the sport itself to be in Rio. Um, as, a, as a nation, we were the first nation to host uh, national championships, the first nation to have a team, and the first nation to put on an elite race. I mean, we held an elite race in London from 2009 through till 2014. Um, and it wasn't until 2014 that the world champs became elite in its, in its setup and running. So. Um, we took a team of 11, which was the biggest team that, that any nation had, and we, we joined top to medal table in terms of medals along with the USA. Um, but we all left there wanting to make sure that this cycle was about performance. So we've had a big turnover in terms of, uh, of athletes. The athletes who've managed to hang on from Rio to now have had to really up their game. People like George, Joe Townsend, Lauren um, have all had to, to significantly improve. I think the results from the last two world champs where the vast majority of our team are now in a position where they're aiming to medal next year whilst we still have a similar number of, of people I think it's just testament to the work of a lot of people so um, yeah but it was a great first games it really was a, an amazing place I don't think we can ever kind of forget those memories really no, it was great we have the added element of the the heat in yeah. Tokyo how, how are you preparing for that as a team 
Um, we're doing a huge amount of work, really, and it's uh, it's something we've we we had first conversation in in the room just behind us actually uh, in October of 2016, and we we just mapped out what we thought the priorities would be for this cycle, and and we all knew that the heat would be one. That was pretty warm in Rio. <laughs> it was pretty exactly. it was pretty roasting in Rio. Um, I think um, there was just so much to do in the lead up to Rio, and we were trying to take athletes on such a significant journey. We did start some some heat prep about a year out. The challenge is it's um, it's really unpleasant when you first start it and actually it doesn't make you quicker and, you know it can it can kind of um, get in the way of some of your key sessions it can make people feel pretty flat and we we had a real issue with kind of I guess like buy-in really to it um, so we did it a bit but when we look back at then the journey we've gone on this cycle it was um, it wasn't enough really so um, we've had some fantastic partnerships we partnered with the SAS for a year or two we had our physiologist and nutritionist go out to um, Brunei to spend some time with those guys to see how they prepare for the heat and a lot of it is just behavioural and a lot of it is consistency it's like anything isn't it so um, these guys even um, as they're just coming off the back of their winter break uh, will do some chunks in the, the chamber most weeks but then in essence it's about the big blocks it's about the time where we really really hit it hard so they'll have some big chamber blocks uh, we'll prepare out in Florida again next year as we did uh, this year um, and then we'll be in Japan for a significant amount of time beforehand but like I said I think there's there's the acclimation side I think there's kind of physio- physiology bit but then if your behaviours don't match it so what you're doing to cool yourself what you're doing nutritionally wise etc etc so the test event this year was was pretty warm um, to say the least and our, our race the power race in terms of the whole programme was the warmest so it was just a great opportunity for these guys to say right okay what do I need to do um, and ultimately next year should just be about refining that so nothing too new this year <laughs> you mentioned the test event there mm. was it a bit of a shambles or was uh, I wouldn't say shambles no not not at all uh, was it disappointing yeah absolutely it was a huge disappointment um, but it's just for, for people that don't know just what happened yeah so um, we always knew there'd be there'd be two main risks, I guess, in terms of the events running as they should. So heat was one of them, or heat and humidity, um, and then water quality was another. So we've been in communication with the ITU um, pretty much all year, and we understood exactly what measures they were going to take. So they had a, a, a curtain screen across the bay. Um, they had one this year. The plan is that they'll have three next year, which protects um, kind of dirty water being able to get into the bay. And it worked. I think it worked to a to a level. The day before our race, which was the elite men's race, they had extremely high winds um, and they had some equipment cancellation so they couldn't use sort of deep, deep rim wheels. Um, and I think all that happened is it's just pushed a lot of water into our bay. So the ITU have actually developed some of their technologies so they can test water within 12 hours. Um, but even in the, the shift of weather out there, that 12 hours made a difference. So. We um, had kind of watched races go with, with full swims and gone to bed fully prepared to get us full swims. And we wake up at four o'clock in the morning um, and the athletes had actually all had some communication to say it was going to be a duathlon. So um, Ben, basically his first job at 4.30 in the morning was to adjust everybody's uh, morning plans in terms of timings because they ch- shifted some of the timings. So, um, but it's called test event for a reason. And I think the, the biggest risk would have been if we'd gone through our prep camp and we'd gone through the, the event itself without any challenging situations we'd have we'd have gone into next year pretty naive um to what could happen so we had two two typhoons whilst we were in miyazaki uh one which cancelled out our first day of training one which meant we had to shift our travel in tokyo day early um 
and we had a shift of race format you know I've got full full um, kind of trust and belief that next year uh, we'll have a full triathlon I think and it'll all be fine oh, it, just, it has to be it's the Olympics it's the Paralympic Games um, and I, you know I don't think Tokyo are underestimating the, the challenge and I think the things that they've got in place um, we've got two options ultimately we we run it as a as a shifted um, formatted race like like it was this year or they can push the races back by a few days so we already know that I think if that happened again this year the likelihood is our races would just be postponed until they could postpone it no more basically um, but these guys handled it so well um, I, to be honest probably better than me in the first five minutes I've, <laughs> I was pretty resistant to want to go out and do a duathlon um, but at the same time I think everybody knew actually this is an opportunity there was a lot of people weren't there um, a lot of athletes weren't there and I think again you're just going in with a, a more realistic view of what this place is going to is going to give you um, which I think in itself is a is an advantage for next year so yeah it was a bit it, it was a bit rubbish but um yeah you've got to make the best of those situations and as you say it was a test event so that's you know it certainly was that yeah. good that it happened last yeah, year yeah, yeah. yeah and different categories are in the Paralympics for 2020 compared to Rio 2016 there have yeah. been a few changes yeah what like what are they what yeah. impact does that have on on the squad yeah uh, again I mean I think it's it's something within parasport you you kind of have to accept. I mean, there's definitely there's definitely things that we can help and, and influence and shape internationally. But it's a new sport. Um, we to to gain acceptance into the Paralympic Games, it was with a smaller number of medals than our sport currently has. So, I guess as a comparative, it would be like saying, right, um, triathlons going to the games. Um, you've got men's, women's, and mixed relays, and we can only we can only take um, men's and mixed relays. It's something like that. Um, now that wouldn't happen on the Olympic side, but. So we have a total of 12 categories, six men and six women. Um, in Rio, we had three men's categories, three women's categories, um, and we were given an uplift in medals for, for this Games to, to four and four. Um, and the long-term goal is that we have all of our medal categories in there. So the ITU then have to look at, well, which, which events are going to be most uh, represented, both in numbers but also in, in uh, nations. So a big goal for the IOC and the IPC is, is how many nations internationally do this is it is it an international event or is it just an event where we have some well-funded nations so um, ultimately the categories that were picked this time around were the ones that were going to offer biggest fields um, and, and most international fields so it was quite um, yeah it was quite numbers based really so what that meant for us was the the PTS2 men was a category that was in for the games which Andy Lewis uh, won in Rio he was our only gold medalist in, in Rio his category unfortunately wasn't then taken through um, however, what it's meant is the, the men's PTS4 is a category which is now new. They've got an incredibly deep field. I mean, there's hundreds of, of men internationally who are ranked in that field. Um, so we have uh, Steve Crowley, who's an athlete on the performance program. And we have two athletes who are based now in Loughborough. So we've got Michael Taylor and Finley Jakes, two young athletes who are coming up incredibly fast. And hey, in, in this sport, it's uh, anything could still happen in terms of the next 12 months. Um, and then on the women's side, on the women's side, on the women's side. So I think... Um, and the visually impaired men didn't compete in... Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, they didn't. Um, so it was... That was a tough one, really, I think, when, those, when the categories came out for Rio. Because... Um, yeah, it was a great. It's a great spectacle, and it's an incredibly good thing to watch. And the athletes themselves are, you know, they're, they're some of the quickest athletes we've got. Um, and Dave Ellis, who was who was an athlete who'd won uh, world champs for us in the cycle beforehand, um, unfortunately his category didn't go through. 
and he's had a he's had a testing journey himself. He was a Paralympic swimmer, missed out on going to London by point zero something of a second. Didn't then go to Rio um, in our sport. So his um, his, his girlfriend moved from swimming to, to triathlon, and so when when we were waiting for the decisions. Um, Almost, we were certainly hoping that the, the women's um, arm amputee, so PTS five category, which is Lauren Steadman, Claire Cashmore, we obviously wanted that to go through, but uh, the thought of their category going through and Dave's not, you know, the, imagine that household. Um, so the fact that yeah, they they both did, uh, and Dave gets a, a genuine chance of being able to go and excel next year is uh, superb for him. Yeah, it's it, it's I think. On one hand, you could look at it as it's you know, program decisions and we adapt, but of course, you, you know the individuals, um, both who are going to benefit and both who are going to not. It's, um, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing to go through. We've been through it twice. Um, it's something that I think in Olympic sport you kind of don't appreciate. You don't really see those trying to support an athlete off a program back into normal life when they've, they've won a Paralympic Games. It's not a normal, normal set of circumstances, but one which is, unfortunately, it's quite normal. But... Um, yeah, you can't give everyone a medal, and, and that's kind of the reality of it. So, How, well, I, another another thing I was going to ask because you mentioned uh, Dave Ellis there. What have the likes of Tim Don and Mark Buckingham brought to the wider squad with their guiding roles as well? Yeah. And I know that that's sort of still well, you might know who it is, and that's fine. <laughs> you don't need to tell me now. But you know that that's still sort of up in the air as to who yeah. will be that guide. Uh, I think the guides bring so much. Um, they bring so much to not just the athlete they're guiding yeah. but to the environment around them and, yeah. and we were pretty clear we shifted the the guiding um, roles around from post Rio so we had quite a flat structure um, and we kind of just expected the guides we didn't expect the guides we just put a guiding role out and quite naively said well just go and guide it's you know jump on a tandem and um, it's a really really tough job especially in this sport <clears throat> we're one of a few sports that have guides so downhill skiing athletics um, but I think the role that we expect of them across three sports, across such a big training week, um, whilst also asking them to maintain their standards was, was nigh on impossible really and it, and it caused us some challenges last time round. So we switched the roles up, um, we have training guides and racing guides uh, and the training guides for me are some of the unsung heroes here, they're the names you're not going to see or hear um, but are the, the gel to, to some of these places and they're just selfless. Um, very, very good athletes in their own right, so we've got Jordan Hull uh, who was on England Talent Programme for his pretty much his whole childhood. Um, and we've got Rosie Lindsay, who actually did guide in a couple of international races last year, probably the quickest swimmer out of anybody there. Um, superb people, and that's kind of what you needed. And we, we asked the same of the race guides, but whilst giving them a little bit more flexibility to be able to not need to do every session. Um, so they're a bit more experienced they've probably done the sport for a little bit longer um, their own standards they've been through what it takes to to excel um, and I think you know without forgetting Luke Pollard in there we, we took three men through this year um, an RAF background disciplined um, it's just been exceptional I think this year it's for me it's really shown that splitting those roles up and just giving people the, the space to do what they need to do to be the best athletes um, and backing it up with people who are just fantastic at being selfless and helping um, yeah I think we're in a good place actually it's, um, but it benefits the whole group it benefits the staff um, because you can kind of lean on them a little bit to, to get a little bit more from, from the athletes if you need to um, it benefits like I said people like Claire people like Hannah get to swim you know with Nikki it gives Nikki people to swim with um, and of course yeah I think we've I think we're in a, a good place in terms of we've still got work to do with um, with people like Melissa and Alice and, and Dave um, I think the things that we wanted to tick off this year are, are, are kind of there so 
over to them really yeah good luck to mm. you for 2020 thank you very much survivor 46 is here and so is on fire the only official survivor podcast and we have a twist this season the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, so this is the Elite Athlete Hotel in Loughborough, yeah, um, it's a really new build, I think it was uh, finished um, this year, I think, or over winter, early start of the year. Yeah, it's basically for remote athletes that want to kind of come to Loughborough, um, some of the rooms are at altitude as well and it just provides a bit of a base for people to train, um, use the facilities and be in Loughborough. And your eyes did uh, light up because... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it just looks like it's good quality breakfast and everything here is centred towards athletes so it is kind of healthy, it's, it's what an athlete needs, it's, it's fuel for the day, it's recovery as well so it's, yeah, everything's centred around the athlete really so it all looks um, pretty amazing. Let's go and, uh, let's go and have a look. Um, which, which way are you going first? Where are you, where are you gunning for? Let's get some orange juice first. <laughs> so is this breakfast number, is this breakfast number, which one are you up to now? Did you have anything at breakfast club? Yeah, I did. So is this breakfast number three? Yeah, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> I think OJ's that way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I need a glass. I've let you have your breakfast. I kind of thought I'm not going to be able to... It might be a bit of a disaster trying to record an interview whilst I'm trying to eat yeah. and you're trying to eat. <laughs> There'd be a lot of silence. How did you get into triathlon then? So I really blame my family. Um, my It all started, I think, with um, my dad. He was training for London Marathon back in... I think it was 2007 yeah. and got a I think he's fractured his ankle or got a stress fracture in his ankle um, so he's started um, swimming and cycling for a bit of rehab um, joined the local tri club my brother who was a teenager at the time joined with him um, and they yeah just got into it that way purely just doing a bit of rehab um, they, my dad ended up doing a couple of um, Ironman distance races. Um, my mum joined in. My brother started doing some more serious um, triathlons. So he raced step bucks and then did some elite super series. And then I just kind of followed suit. Um, it was the, of clearly the thing to do. So I went after a, a kind of fairly major surgery in 2009. I joined the tri club uh, like that was just local to me in 2010. Did it two hours on a Saturday morning, messing around with some friends. Probably did hour, hour and a half max worth of training a week. Um, yeah, just pretty out of enjoyment. It's a bit of a social, and I think just with the triathlon, it's uh, it was very much uh, like you don't have to be good at one thing. Um, I was really bad at running. Um, still not great, but um, debatable. Uh, yeah, like just go along and have fun, and that's all I did for three, two, three years basically. 
And then when it came to going off to uni or whatever, you knew you wanted to come to Loughborough specifically for triathlon, is that right? Or Yeah, so so first start I was um I came to a talent ID day in at the back end of two thousand eleven. Uh, that was here in Loughborough as well. Um, found out I was classifiable, did a, a national race in two thousand twelve. Um, twenty thirteen did um, two international races uh, with the Paratribe that was before we knew anything about classifications for Rio. Um, and then 2014, yeah, knew I finishing my A-levels, I kind of wanted to do a degree, where was the best place to do it. I was just umanaring, there are a few options, but like at the end of the day it was Loughborough. Um, British Triathlon's based here, it's close to where my coach at the time was based, it's where kind of the head coach of the squad is based. It just seemed like the sensible place to, and the, well, the place to be, um, especially for Paratroy. Um, so yeah, just kind of moved up. 2014, started doing a part-time degree, and yeah, still here, still enjoying it. And did you, did you think you would still be here? 100. percent And I think for as long as I am a um, a Paralympic triathlete, then yeah, I think I will be based here. It's it's a really, really, really good place to be based. Um, it's just got everything you need. It's, we've got access to our physios. All, all of our support team are based here, and it's just where you want to be. Able to be able to train day in day out. Talk us through the like you were saying you were classifiable. What's it like having to do those like those, those tests as a, as a para athlete? Um, so we're quite lucky in para try. I think um, it's quite a, it can be quite a simple process, especially if you're missing a limb for say. <laughs> it's quite a, an easy test or classification process to go through. Um, I I think yeah especially in Paratry you hear some bad stuff in the media especially with other sports but everything I've experienced in triathlon has been really positive and really really thorough and the process for classification I, I've always seen as a positive one um, and one that a developing sport which paratriathlon is um, really tries to keep on the forefront and it's an, it's an adapting process as especially with some impairments that can change over time um, so I think in paratriathlon it's it's absolutely fine, but obviously it, it can cause some stresses, especially if you're borderline a category or have moved previously. It can cause quite a bit of stress to someone. So, but for me, luckily, it's been quite a simple process and not a painful one at all. That's good, good to hear. And sometimes, I guess, with some athletes, if their category isn't in a games, then they might sometimes have to try to sort of almost like compete up is that is that right yeah so that's something that's come out um, in the last year um, so previously it was if your category is in for the games yeah. then you race that category and only that category can compete um, so just for example there's PTS4 which is below knee uh, amputees and PTS5 um, which is below uh, knee impairments below elbow impairments for for the female side and paratribe PTS5 is in for Tokyo but PTS4 isn't but there is now a clause that says that PTS4 female athletes can race up. Um, so obviously the PTS5 athletes are generically quicker um, as they're less impaired, so it kind of makes sense. Um, but there is that scope now that if, if someone is, is good enough in the PTS4 uh, category that they can race up and compete upper category um, and still get to experience the games basically and the example for us in British Triathlon is uh, Hannah Moore racing as a PTS4 into the PTS5 category with um, Claire Cashmore and Lawrence Seddon. Oh, 
sounds it's really it, honestly it is really really interesting i want to know as well about your cycling right yeah. so <laughs> talk to us about cycling um you can go pretty damn fast uh i'm not too bad <laughs> i don't see myself as anywhere near where i have the potential to be at the moment um everything i do in cycling is because i'm training for it in triathlon so it's not that i'm training any different for anything I do in cycling it's it's very much I'm just using the talent that I've got from training triathlon and putting it into practice in a single discipline sport um, and it's yeah it's something that I've engaged with a bit more over the years um, so were they but the, did they how did it all come about like did did they come to you did they say oh he's quite quick on a bike or like because you, you went and you've competed now twice at the UCI world champs yeah. power world champs yeah um, it's cycling has always been a bit of a hobby um well, as well as triathlon, but I've done far more bike races as a, as a junior than okay. triathlons um, because it was my better discipline and it's where I'm least in, impaired compared to the able bodies of people. Um, so, yeah, I just, I've always just done a bit of cycling and I did a couple of national races and wasn't as good before, and I think it was 2015. Um, but I've always kept it on the side and I do time trials because paratriathlon is a time trial format especially in cycling um so to train for a time trial and triathlon you train for a time trial in cycling um so it's quite easy um and yeah i did a national champs uh i think 2014 um on the road uh i think i won or came second it was something something like that and then um raced a uci world cup um which kind of the step down from world champs placed second there and then got yeah to race at the UCR World Champs didn't do as great in my first one but then I went to the track UCI World Champs as well this year came second in the pursuit um, yeah it's just, it's just something that I'm, I'm clearly quite naturally good at um, and it is definitely possible to possibly go into that in the future yeah. I was going to say with a bit yeah. like can you double up is that uh, yeah so it purely depends on the schedule um, for Tokyo we've looked at it as well quite thoroughly um, I'm not going to be focused on the track for 2020 purely because I think the race is two days before the triathlon um, and my heart is fully in for the triathlon but then the the time trial is three or four days later um, so if I can get selected for the time trial and road race then I'll do that but I know the spots in cycling are very few and far between and it's a different selection process for cycling than it is for triathlon, so it's it's quite a hard one to do, especially when you're going up in selection, going up against people that are double gold medal athletes. Um, I would hope to be on the podium, but I'm not a double gold medalist, so it's, it's it'll be tough. But um, yeah, I'll definitely give it a go. And then from your performances there, did is that where like the hoop relationship came as well? Yeah, so uh, quite a lot of people in the cycling world have heard of uh, hoop what bike. Um, and how who have helped Darbados. Yeah, and the flag and the People's Republic of Darbados. Um, yeah, so Hoob have been a, a big sponsor and kind of like a family of mine since 2013, 2014. Um, and they've sponsored me ever since and always helped me out. And Dino's an absolutely great chap and he's always keen to help me as an athlete as well as a person, um, whether it be triathlon or cycling. Obviously, um, with the... Uh, kind of coming in of the Hoop What Bike team um, there are links there um, I've done tunnel tests or velodrome testing with Dan um, I joined kind of part of their, their track side of things last year when I raced at the World Champs 
Um, so there's definitely a link there and a lot more triathletes are becoming more wary of the fundamentals of being aero on a bike and and how to optimise all equipment and everything and just power and the training and everything which the Hoop Watt Bike guys have absolutely nailed um, and they're actually first races this weekend in um, Minsk so hopefully that'll be a really good one for them. And do you think it does give you a bit of an advantage compared to a lot of your competitors having having done all that you know cycling and having got as you say like the aerodynamic side of it as well uh yeah but it's widely available to everyone and a lot of people do use it and it's just about guessing it right but also especially with triathlon you've got to be able to run off it so it's it's, it can be a bit of a compromise sometimes but it's about getting getting a very fine line of uh, being optimal but also being able to do a triathlon. Um, my positions between time trial and triathlon actually aren't too dissimilar um, but the way that you focus on the position is completely different. Um, yes yeah, so, but like going to next year I'll just take even more learning, take get a couple of sneaky upgrades from Dan and the Who What Bike guys and hopefully just be even quicker. So we're now back at uh, Powerbase, which is uh, the gym, and it's got uh, EIS base, so the English Institute, Institute of Sport. Uh, so we've got our physios here, we've got uh, the lab here, which can go to heat and altitude, and it's just kind of yeah, gym and everything else. So I know you're. Um, we're going to meet. I'm going to meet someone else in the gym shortly. But how, like, how many sessions would you do in the gym? Uh, gym, I do twice a week. Uh, very much based around kind of keeping the body mechanics moving right and strength is, and condition as well. Um, so obviously there's that side of it, but there's also a, func- a functional side, which physios absolutely love. Um, but yeah, it's, it's keeping the body moving and in the right patterns and especially like you can, we're adding in a, a run drill session so you can just do a little bit more, but it's yeah, focus on that movement and getting that movement right so your body just becomes more efficient as well. And would your program vary throughout the year, the, the gym program, depending on you know race season and what you're up to? Hundred percent, yeah. So over winter, it's definitely more strength based, um, and just kind of building up the muscle strength. Um, and then going into season, it can be a bit more endurance based. It can be a bit more kind of more movement movement pattern based. Um, but yeah, going into winter, it's a bit more strength, a bit more just robust um, power, basically. And one thing that we've obviously spoken a little bit about food, uh, a little bit about your program. I mean, God, we could probably chat all day long. What about the mental side of things? Do you work with a sports psychologist as well? Yeah, so we've got a sports psych um, with Paratri, Hannah, and um, yeah, work together. And there's been stuff even at the end of the year and kind of with a couple of races not going to plan and stuff. Um, yeah, you, we have to work with them. And obviously the mental side of it is a big part of sport. And it's something that's kind of come out more in the last couple of years years about mental well-being especially um, and you can see that athletes do tend to quite regularly get put into stress, stressful scenarios and it is, it is tough especially for athletes you see a lot of them come out with um, mental health issues or depression at some points and it yeah it's tough um, but you've got to have that mental resilience as well and a lot of people probably don't appreciate the, the scenarios and positions some athletes get put in for that side of things and it's very much seen as the best job you can ever have and when things are going right I 100% agree it's the best job that you can ever have but when things aren't it's also probably the worst job you could ever have because it is really mentally damning (laughs) but yeah working with the sports psych is really useful and it it keeps 
I wouldn't say that keeps the brain ticking over, but it just keeps your mind healthy and fresh and gives you other options as well. And do you do you sort of practice that stuff on a weekly basis? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could say, you just got to kind of integrate it into day-to-day living. Like, you've got to have that separation from the sport as well. So I'm doing, obviously, my part-time degree. You've got to have hobbies outside. Your life can't always be sport, and that's where you've got to be really careful. Um, because if it is then when things do start to go wrong or there's an injury or something then it can really go downhill um, but working with the psych is yeah, it's really beneficial and useful so being able to have that day to day and week to week and, and everything is, is really helpful for that side of things What will your Christmas look like? A lot of as, a, as an athlete <laughs> <laughs> Yeah so Christmas I sometimes have Boxing Day off um, but like I tend to just carry on doing a little bit obviously it's a bit of an easy week it's it's time with the family at the end of the day it's it's time to yeah just really enjoy family and that's what Christmas is about at the end of the day so you've got to embrace it and I'll go on a family morning run um, take the dog out for a run as well and like we'll just have a bit of fun with it all like nothing has to be too strenuous and serious and like usually the, the athletes that are really enjoying the training and make it fun and enjoyable are doing some really outrageous things and being really good and I mentioned the who what bike guys before and it's just because they have fun like they're having a laugh there's they're enjoying training they're pushing boundaries and if you can have fun in training and kind of keep that kind of Christmas vibe throughout the year into the season like you're just going to get better and it's definitely one area where some people take things a bit too seriously in training um but for me Christmas yeah it's going to be very much a, a chill time family time sit in front of the fire watch a couple of films but eat a lot obviously um, and just have a nice time with the family because obviously in the season you don't really get that time as much and if you weren't doing if you weren't a you know, full time athlete and a part time student what would you be doing? that is a very good question um, I, I'll definitely still be doing sport as a hobby Like it's, it's just great fun it's a great release, release of endorphins as well um, who knows it's it's like saying if I hadn't had my accident um, in 98 then what would I be doing I just don't know like at sometimes I do wonder like what I'd be doing if I was an athlete or what would be of me now if I hadn't had my accident when I was younger so it's like it's almost a bit of a privilege <laughs> to um, have been through what I've gone through um, and yeah it's I, I really don't know what I would be doing <laughs> living day to day and loving it <laughs> yeah exactly just You've got to love every day and like enjoying training is the best thing and some people have to be a bit crazy to do all the training things they do and you've got to be a little bit crazy to yeah put yourself in the places that you do but yeah if you love it you live it thank you so much for everything today for showing me around and letting me shadow you a little bit <laughs> no worries at all hope you've enjoyed it i've learned that you like to eat food as well well yeah which athlete doesn't <laughs> Welcome to Loughborough Powerbase Gym. It's awesome, isn't it? So explain, Nikki. Just paint the picture a little bit. Nikki Bartlett, para tri guide and also a pro triathlete. It's insane. Yeah, it's pretty big. It's very open and airy. Um, there's about ten squat racks and everything you really need. Um, loads of deadlifts areas in between. Um, yeah, there's elite specific hours. Um, so at ten till twelve. So in that slot at the moment. So yeah, just everyone's around. So it's a bit quieter, you haven't got the, the mass students kind of coming in and doing their session at the same time, because otherwise you literally can't get a squat rack, which is mad. And then above us, you've got um, treadmills and row machines, you've got two Wahoo kickers with the screens, you've got about 15 watt bikes up there and your cross trainers. And this gym is just huge, like there's equipment everywhere. So um, You can see my face looking a bit like, 
It's massive, and this is like one of the only gyms here, like one of two gyms here. So we've got the Hollywell one, which you saw yesterday. It would be a, it would be a bit scary, wouldn't it, if you uh, if you weren't used to a gym environment? This would be a place where you go and feel intimidated. I feel intimidated. Just go like I, I always go to like the the side squat rack and lift like my baby weights, especially at the moment because I'm, this is like my first week back of just doing. I'm just doing a swim and gym this week. Um, so it's like so I'm like literally lifting nothing. Um, so I feel a bit embarrassed because some of these athletes are like super strong. Like they're kind of doing pull-ups with like 20, 30 kgs around your waist. And I'm like, they're a band, they're a band. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great place. And it's very, like, there's good atmosphere in here as well. The music on and kind of everyone focusing on what they're doing. And has there been uh, one day when you've been in here or one time when you're sort of, I don't know, lifting or doing whatever yeah. and you've been like, oh my God, they're in here. Um, like you see teams and stuff all, all the time and kind of like obviously you've got say Adam Peaty, Swimmer and Swimmers, they're in here at kind of the similar time to us and you've got I think the rugby team are at top at the moment on the what bike so yeah you've always got very good athletes surrounding you which is pretty awesome. Other inspiring people and yeah. what, what are you doing, doing in here today? So I was just sat back on SSC after like two months off so I did my first one Tuesday and I can barely walk and I'm literally doing like not even like a third of the weight I usually lift um so yeah I'm kind of like trying to get back into a swim program and gym from this week and I'll just carry that on ready till Christmas with a bit of running and cycling where I fancy but I like to have like a good six weeks off from like a training peak structure um but I am I, I get back in the pool and the full structure like it's amazing like yesterday we did a CSS set and kind of like uh, everyone who is back now has been back for about four or five weeks so I've just jumped in on their sessions and I'm like oh my god so we were doing like hundreds of stuff in the pool and like comparing where I was starting this time last year compared to this time this year um, so I was like 10 seconds per 100 quicker this this year compared to this time last year so that's a good place to be starting on yeah. but um, I can remember like the last few reps because I was doing like single arm bench press um, on Tuesday and towards the back end of the CSS session yes I could barely get my arms around I was like oh my god I'm such a loser and um, so yeah like just yeah, our programme is very much heavy weight lifting um, few reps yeah. um, so for instance they had like slow squats but like they're really slow really deep but quite heavy but obviously not that heavy at the moment <laughs> really weak by super, we have superset everything. Steve is our SSC coach, and he's over. He's overseeing like everything we do in the gym. So it kind of goes between people. And how sure like how sort of individualised is it as well? Oh, it's completely individualised. Yeah. So like I've got a completely different program to Claire to Rosie, who's the other um, who's a training guide for Alison. Um, so everything's just based on your needs. So um, I'm just doing a bit of stuff at the moment to get back into it, and then in two weeks I've got like testing. Um, to just test it's not hard hard testing but just to see where your weaknesses are um, and then work on them through the winter and then you get retested and your program changes every now and then um, so yeah we, we're all completely individualised based on what we need um, I'm more of I need more upper body stuff to, to lower and I prefer and respond better to heavier weights um, low reps kind of program whereas some people that wouldn't suit at all but yeah and for you coming to Loughborough, having previously been um, up sort of in and around Stirling as well, yeah. and probably doing your own thing before that, yeah, yeah. Like, 
Is it is it completely different to maybe what you were doing when you first started out as a pro triathlete? And is yeah. there like, are you doing more than you ever were? Um, or more specific, maybe? Yeah, different stuff, I guess. That, like, I wasn't on the proper S&C programme yeah. until last year. And, like, the difference is just phenomenal. Um, I feel a lot stronger on the bike. Um, like, I'm, I, I spent, I hope this happens next year and on future years, but, like, I spent the whole of last year not injured at all. Like, I didn't have a niggle. And, and that's got to be down to, to S&C helping out as well. And, yeah, it makes me a more, more rounded athlete. It makes me stronger on, like, run form more robust to be able to handle the load because I don't do crazy volume like a lot of people you see are in the 35 to 40 hours long distance I don't I don't do that more 28 30 max sit around the 25 from a lot more higher intensity than probably a lot of people do and that's to go with guiding as well the long stuff Um, so do a lot of top end work Um, my top end is a hell of a lot better than my Ironman 7.3 so like I can't wait not on the swim but on the bike um, probably on the runs still as well. My top end's a lot better than than kind of my Ironman stuff, so that's something I need to work on this year as well. Um, but it goes hand in hand. Like the more I work on my top end, the more it helps my Ironman. And the kind of the Ironman sessions help the top end stuff as well. So it all kind of goes hand in hand nicely. Um, so yeah, it's it's probably different to a lot of pro long distance athletes, um, but it works. It's working well. And would you say now, sometimes you might even ditch a run in favour of actually coming and doing another strength session? Um, so I do two maximum a week and I won't miss them because I know if I miss one, that's just a slippery slope. Like, even now, even with this amazing facility on our doorstep, like, it is the one you're least motivated by. I'm not sure which is least motivated, actually, swimming or gym. <laughs> but um, gym is more as, oh, uh, do I have time? And it's just like a load of rubbish. You just have to make time for the gym. Like, there's so many benefits for the gym, and it's something I won't ever skip out my programme now. I, I do like doing S&C, but to get to S&C sometimes, which is ridiculous, because we have, as you've seen, we have breakfast club on a Thursday, so we swim, and then um, we have breakfast club 9... Is it 9 o'clock? Yeah, 9 till 10, then we come here 10 till 11. Yeah. So, like, you literally just have to come down sets, but sometimes you're like, oh, I just want to go back. <laughs> and then what's after the gym today for you? So that that's me done. Um, done? I'm off to the Boardman Centre, actually, today to get some um, wind tunnel testing and test out all the equipment I've been using this year and see see what's in store for next year. Um, because I'm on off-season, I'm not doing too much anyway, so, like, swim gym's just my focus, and I'll run and cycle if I like, and I'm pretty wimpy with the cold so like I'm probably like not going to cycle that much <laughs> January is when my cycling pro- probably properly starts but I'm off to Bournemouth Centre and I think we'll be there for like eight hours and will that be t- tandem like getting the area for the tandem or no, just for you that's individual so yeah. I don't know if we're going to go in there for the tandem but we got the bike fit and stuff to come on the tandem and the aero games but it helps me finding out all the aero stuff individually as well because I can then put that onto the tandem so actually it's benefiting both and if I can get the more I can get used to being as aero as possible um, the better for for tandem riding because obviously (laughs) that's what you need to do on tandem as well (laughs) so yeah so if whatever I learn from today will go straight into the tandem stuff as well because when we have the bike fit I'll know kind of what position I can get into before we go is the bike fit is the position sort of completely the same between the tandem and your, your normal pretty much try and get it identical like it's pretty aggressive on the tandem I don't know why it's more aggressive on the tandem but Jack Allison's husband when he goes and rides on the tandem he's like I am not using the setup so he like takes all my stuff off <laughs> and he's like that's way aggressive but I've, I've keep tandem I've obviously come from being a proper chopper sat up uh, to lower and lower and lower each year 
Um, so I'm pretty aggressive as it is at the moment. So, um, so yeah. And yeah. It, like, that, the position thing, it is something that comes with, as you get more comfortable, then you can yeah. you can keep on changing it, can't you? Yeah, yeah you can keep on li- t- making little tweaks here and there. Like, nothing, like everything's tiny tweaks every now and then because if you make a big jump that's going to have injury or not but I've never ever like someone's commented on my post the other day because I put up a post of me at Kona and they were like god can you run off that and I was like I've never even thought that I can't run off that position like it's never come to the point where I'm like a sore back or anything like that I never get sore back never get you might obviously get a bit of sore neck and shoulders because you're that's you being in the right position but I've never come off the bike thinking oh I'm stiff or anything like that so that just shows that making small changes is probably the better way to go, especially if you're not used to TT riding. I've been, I've riding, been riding TT bike now for like five years, so but got a bit more experience than a lot of people starting out. Yeah. And uh, Nikki, well, so you're off to Bournemouth Centre now. Yeah. Like, if you literally, if you finish your session, because it's now ten past eleven, so yeah. you, you're done. You're yeah. going to go home after this. Yeah, I know. Weird, isn't so it? You're waiting for me. <laughs> uh, no, it's actually all finishing time because I was just finishing one of my core exercises and. Um, <laughs> And yeah, and then you come through. I was like, well, this is perfect. And, but uh, it is going to be like an eight-hour process going over to Bournemouth Centre and doing that, but learn, learn some new stuff. And it'd be, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Like, I've seen so many photos of it. I want to see what it's like in person. Hi, I'm Claire Cashmore, paratriathlete. Claire, just describe where we are now, because I think I've had like a day of food so far. <laughs> that is the best day. What more can you ask for? And um, we're currently in, where are we? Martin Hall. <laughs> but I kind of remember on campus, I love free uni. And what has your day looked like so far? Because I've been basically hanging around with George. What have you been up to? Uh, so I had a swim this morning. Um, unfortunately, the boiler had broken, so it was stuck on the max temperature. So I think we were swimming at about 38 degrees, which was great prep for the Tokyo. For Tokyo? Tokyo. But it was uh, pretty toasty. We, we managed an hour 20, and we were all like, this is not fun. Um, yeah, so then straight from there into gym, and then breakfast club, and then now I've got a bit of a run biomechanics session. Okay, I like it. And tell us a bit about sort of your background because you came from swimming into paratri. Yes, yeah, so I started swimming competitively when I was about 12 years of age. Um, ended up going to my first Paralympic Games at 16. Been in four Paralympic Games as a swimmer um, and then decided after Rio, I was like, oh, I want to change things up a little bit. Um, and I'd always ran as a kid and it was when I was about 13, 14 years of age, I got told I had to choose between swimming and running. Uh, decided obviously the swimming route. So I, I'd always looked at triathlon and I thought that would be amazing. Like, obviously, other than the bike, I feel like the other two kind of got. Um, so, yeah, after Rio, I thought I'd give it a go. It was a massive step outside my comfort zone and big change, but a really a one I'm so glad I did. It's, it's an amazing sport. And swimming's quite boring now. <laughs> I realised actually, how did I do that for 20 hours a week? How, and for how, like 16 years? No, like longer than 16 years yeah, as a swimmer. 12 till I was 28. So what a, gosh, get our maths out. Yeah, no, no that is 16 yeah, years. Yeah. yeah, so it's a long time. I, I do think you have to be slightly, um, I don't know what, I don't know what you're doing, counting tiles for two hours in the morning and two hours in the night and then gym. But no, it, it was an amazing sport and I, I did love it whilst I was in it. Um, but I love the variety of triathlon and I love, you actually see a lot. You see a lot of the countries you go to, you, you can talk, which is something I like to do. So rather than swimming, it was, right, how, how quickly can I talk in the 30 seconds we've got rest before we go again? <laughs> Like many age groupers during the rest at the end of the pool, you say one thing and it's like, oh, catch up again in the leg. And, and what have you found like the the hardest thing, would you say, so far about about switching? 
Um, the hardest thing for me was definitely the cycling. Um, trying to, I'd, I'd ridden a bike as a kid, but I hadn't ridden a road bike. And a road bike to a mountain bike is very different. Um, it flexes a lot, obviously, and you know when you're trying to control it with one arm. And I, I hadn't really worn a prosthetic. I hadn't worn one since I was about six. Um, I wore one in Dubai, and it was too sweaty and made loads of farting noises so I hated it I took it off quite quickly (laughs) so I'm not used to wearing one and I think that's actually been a bit of a disadvantage going into triathlon and controlling the bike Um, particularly you know when you're going down hills at crazy speeds and you're trying to you know control the brakes with one hand essentially um, and dead turning and all the cornering but it's been something that I've really worked on and you know because it was a weakness that straight away is something for me that I will hang on to and do more than you know I need to to make sure that I I get to a a level which I think I should be at and you've been pretty successful already like you've had an amazing season (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah no it's it's been it's been a really good season actually and probably I didn't expect it I'm the kind of person that doesn't always have that much confidence in myself and kind of going into it I was like well I've, I've done the work this year you know I've really worked hard and I had a cracking season the year before I struggled with injury just running and being a swimmer your ankles are not ready for that and your 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 joints just your bones are not ready for the impact that you get from the road and so that first year was a bit more of a struggle so last year I actually had you know a solid block and so I kind of knew I was in a good place but didn't really realize I was in such a good place (laughs) did did you expect to come out in the like to to do as well as you had done then no not at all no not at all and I you know the videos of me at world champs crossing the line first but I'm looking behind to see where Lauren is and then I'm mini celebrating and you can kind of tell that I don't really believe it um, until I've actually crossed the line and just my face shows you know how much that actually meant to me and how, how would that have compared to other sort of world championships as a swimmer for example well, so I only actually won world championships once as a swimmer, and that was in the 100 individual medley. Actually, no, sorry, in the relays I won a few, but as an individual. And the Bloomin' Medal ceremony was cancelled because of the thunderstorm, so <laughs> that was my first time winning an individual gold. Um, so it really did mean a lot, and you know, obviously it's not always just about the medal, but it does kind of make all the hard work pay off and all those cold winter mornings where you're up and out on the bike and freezing your hands off and yeah so it it was brilliant and you and Lauren you were saying before we hit record that actually you you've known each other since you you were really quite small you swam together against each other as, as swimmers what's it now like competing against each other as as triathletes yeah, it's funny. It's almost like I followed her yeah. across from swimming. Uh, so she she said, "Yeah, go away." You know, <laughs> she followed me first down to Kelly College. So I feel like I'm now just following her back. Um, no, so we swam swam together for years. We didn't really do the same events. The only event we crossed over in was the hundred freestyle. Um, but then, obviously, after 2012, she went over to triathlon, and I waited till after 2016. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great. It's great to have some rivalry within your team. You know, it really keeps you on your toes there's no chance of complacency and we've been backwards and forwards a little bit this season and the sprint finishes are the most exciting ones and it's nice to kind of have that and but then still be able to finish the race and still be friends you said before about the running and not actually having the strength in in your ankles and your legs like how long has that taken and and did the team here would you have done more snc to help with that probably i'm still not where i need to be and running is 
probably my biggest limiting factor at the moment. Um, just because it takes years to get that impact into <laughs> into your bones. So I, you know, I can run three times a week, but very short amounts. Um, so we're just kind of gradually building it up and hoping, I, I'm doing a biomechanics session later to try and actually see how my body moves. Obviously you are massively, I, I'm not very symmetrical at all through my shoulders and I really hunch down, which affects the whole of my body, you know, from my core, like the sling, and I put so much load through my right side, which then in turn means that my right side often is getting very irritated. Um, so we're trying to work out how we can kind of even me up and what we can do to make sure that, you know, I'm not getting this irritation through my right side and can actually build up the running. And hopefully that will then no longer be my limiting factor within the race. What about the, the training load? How's that been compared to swimming, which was, you know, up and down, and you would have done strength and conditioning too. What, have you enjoyed the different training, and, and is it more than you were doing as a swimmer? Probably not more, actually. Probably very similar. You know, we trained nine, ten times a week for two hours in the pool, and then we do five gym sessions. Obviously, the intensity was much higher. So in comparison to now, where there's a lot lower intensity you've obviously still got the high intensity stuff but I'm very much a sprinter still so I love it when the when the sprint sessions come up I'm like yep this is me (laughs) and then as soon as it goes to the longer reps I'm right at the back um but it it has been a huge huge change and obviously only doing four or five swim sessions a week rather than your nine ten um and the gym I, I can't lift what I used to lift as a sprinter um, it, you know, I'm a lot weaker now, but you don't need to be quite strong. You just need to be more robust in triathlon. But, but like I said earlier, that variety is amazing. Like what about really the open strong. water as well? How, how did you find that? Had you, had you done much? Um, no, I think I'd done one open water race quite a few years ago, and I was absolutely petrified. And I made a guy, one of my friends, Dave, swim with me the whole time because um, I was scared of the sharks even though it was in Cornwall which there isn't any sharks but I was petrified made him swim the whole way and then he got hypothermic because he was swimming so slow and then I just shot off at the end and won the race and I was like sorry Dee <laughs> so the poor boy was like hey, we said we were swimming together but that's my competitive side coming over um, but no open water is massively different and I, I'm still probably struggling a little bit with that transfer from the pool swimming into the open water and it's one of my big aims this year is to actually increase and improve what I'm doing in the open water which which, what's so for you what's what's difficult about it I think it's the sighting it's the I I, I don't know what it is but my mechanics completely seem to change in an open water it's I suppose your body position is slightly different pretending depending on if it's salt water if it's the lake whatever it is can completely change that and obviously Tokyo being non-wetsuit that will be another different dynamic because I find in a wetsuit my my big arm my right shoulder gets really tight and I don't like being restricted um, especially when you know in swimming you're wearing tiny little race suits it, it's very different so it, it might suit me more actually being non-wetsuit and generally your feelings about going to a fifth Paralympics yeah. oh my god old granny hey <laughs> yeah, old granny <laughs> get my walking sticks out <laughs> Would you have thought, though, at, at number one, yeah, I'm going to carry on all this time? I mean, that, that's impressive. Yeah, I, it's just addictive. You know, I, I went to my first Paralympic Games and it's like a, la, a, a labbit in headlights? Yeah, a rabbit. A head, <laughs> labbit. No, rabbit in headlights. And I, it was just, I couldn't really absorb everything. I was just like, wow, this is an amazing 
thing, but I don't really know what I'm doing here. And then obviously Beijing was a little bit of a disappointment and I didn't actually enjoy it at all. Um, London. Just from a, from a sort of performance per- yeah. perspective? I massively underperformed and I learned so much about myself, but it was probably my first taste of failure and I think that's what you need and that's probably what's kept me going so long because it made me made me realise why I'm doing it and why I love it. Um, so yeah, to go hopefully to fifth Paralympic Games will be absolutely incredible and especially to be in a different sport, it'll be a completely different event. You know, normally we're on poolside 10 of the days of the competition and we get the final day to kind of enjoy ourselves whereas actually this will be one day and that's it. So I can actually go in and you know, you support, see it. well yeah, exactly, support you know, the rest of Paralympics GB which will be amazing because I've, I've never had that opportunity to go and see any of the other sports. So caught in a little bubble. And have you given any sort of tips or advice to any of the other um, paratriathletes for whom it's going to be their, their first? Do they, do they, do they talk to you? Um, I mean, like, do they talk to you? Do <laughs> no, they? I'm the scary old one. <laughs> no, yeah, they definitely do. I think that the biggest tip I would say is actually absorbing it. I think it's, you know, we're there for about two weeks and you can just let it go and pass you by and not really remember any of it, but actually taking in every moment and really being there. Um, and particularly, you know, if you win a medal, if you don't win a medal, whatever it is, but just actually being there in that moment and enjoying that because you're at the biggest games, you know, it's the pinnacle of everybody's sporting career. Just being there is amazing and soak that up and use that for later on. It's exciting, isn't it? Another, okay. another year. Okay. Another year. <laughs> Claire, thank you so much and uh, en- enjoy the... Uh, the, the mechanical thing now. Thanks. Yeah. Sorry for my ramblings. <laughs> I always ramble so much. Claire, you do not ramble any more than me. So that was Claire Cashmore. And before that, you heard Nikki Bartlett in the gym. And then George Peasgood was the guy who I did a lot of talking to throughout the morning. Thank you very much, George. Coaches wise, you heard in the pool from lead coach Adam Elliott. So he'd have been setting the swim programme for the likes of Jodie Stimson and Ben Dykstra and then George, who swims with the able-bodied athletes. And then during the breakfast club, that was when I got to have a good chat with Jonathan Ryle, the head coach of the British Para Triathlon programme. So what did you make of it? What have you learned from it? Aside from the... um, the love of food. Um, I think the one main thing that I took from it was it's just completely different. It's so, so different to what you and I do as a hobby. Um, that is their job. So everything has to be taken into account. So from what they eat, what they do, the training, the recovery, it was just fantastic to get such a unique look into it that you're not really going to hear elsewhere. If you have liked what you've heard, then please share it with a friend. Let me know, let British Triathlon and all of the athletes and coaches I spoke to know on social media. Right, next up. Three things, three things, three things. (laughs) Well, actually, this week it's three people rather than three things because it is time to announce the winners of the Christian Blumenfeld signed Super League Triathlon trophy so if you don't know the story behind this one uh, I was working out at the Super League triathlon in Malta I was interviewing Christian Blumenfeld at the end and it was like the last race and he he came over to me sort of holding out his trophy 
and I thought oh he just wants me to to hold it for him while I do the interview so I held it but he, he basically said oh you can have it and I was like oh whatever I'll, I'll just hold it and then after the interview I went to give him his trophy back and he said no 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 you can have it and I was like really yeah 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 you can have it so then I said to him okay Christian would you mind signing it and I thought I could try to raise a little bit of money for it for Move Charity, who I work for as a cancer and exercise rehabilitation specialist. So it supports young people to build up their fitness and their strength during or after a cancer diagnosis. And it is incredible the difference that movement and activity can make not only to their strength and, and their fitness but massively to their confidence um i'm going to tell you about it another time because honestly it's just for some people who we support on the program it is life-changing so honestly everything that you helped to do to support that and get behind the the sort of the donation the raffle um so so grateful everyone at move is really grateful you helped to raise over 800 pounds it was like 800 just under 850 pounds i was expecting about one or 200 quid to be honest so that's such a fantastic amount and it's going to help two young people to go through the eight week online program as i said building their confidence building their strength building their fitness so the winners Congratulations to Harry Smallbone, who has won the Christian signed trophy from Malta. That was via his dad, Simon. So, Harry, I really hope that makes your Christmas. What a fantastic Christmas present. And I know Harry is a young lad and he does compete in triathlon himself. So imagine getting that. That is very inspiring. Congratulations to Lee Bassett. You have won goodies from Super League Triathlon, including a signed cap from world champion Vincent Luis. So nice one there. Thank you very much to Super League Triathlon for providing those goodies as well. And then Simon Maddox, you are the final winner. Thank you. You have won a top from Lucy Gossage, multiple Ironman champion and also an oncologist as well. We love Lucy, such an inspiring person. So yeah, congratulations, Harry, Lee and Simon. Thank you to everyone who got involved. As I say, Move Charity do amazing things and they're actually going to be hosting a fundraising event. It's going to be an evening with Steve Cram on March the 20th in Leicester. You can find more details in the show notes over at helenmurray.net forward slash inside try show so that's march the 20th in leicester uh, an evening a fundraising evening with steve cram if you want to support the show to help me continue to bring you the best interviews in triathlon and episodes like this when i can go out and about um, it takes a lot of time to put that sort of thing together uh, and to do, you know, the editing, all of the interviews and to actually travel over to Loughborough and everything. So if you could help me by buying a coffee every so often so I can continue to do what I do, that would be awesome. You can find all of the details at patreon.com forward slash inside try show. This week, thank you, Peter Welsh, Lisa Wright and Claire Grimmer. They have all become 
Coffee Buddies. And then a massive thank you as well to Jeremy Churcher, who has become a Vino Buddy. So he will be able to submit questions for guests. And Jeremy, you're also going to be getting, I posted it yesterday, a handwritten thank you note with a yummy recipe from me. If you want to know more about me, you can head over to helenmurray.net and you can find all of the show notes as well and information about the show at insidetryshow.com and on social media, Inside Try Show on Instagram and on Twitter as well. This week's show has been powered by 33 Fuel, powerful, tasty and natural sports nutrition. Check out their winter bundles. If you're thinking that you might need a gift for someone, you can use the code InsideTry33 to get a discount at checkout. Coming up next time on the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. I reckon we're going to be heading to Germany to meet this superstar. Like, I think our first date was like, he took me to run up some stairs and I was like trying my best because, you know, I want to look good and impress him. And uh, it was really exhausting. But uh, yeah, um, romantic, isn't it? (laughs) That is next week. Thanks again to everyone at British Triathlon in Loughborough for making me feel so welcome and to you for supporting the show and getting involved in the Super League Triathlon Trophy fundraiser. Over £800 for Move Charity, which is just fantastic. And I'm truly grateful. So keep me posted on social media. Interact with me inside Tri Show. Keep it fun and I will see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.